0: Alright, if you would take your Bible and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. These first two verses I've probably seen taken out of context as much as any passage in the scriptures. And that is how I used to understand it. Of course, if you... Preach messages about the Bible and don't preach the Bible, that's what you're going to tend to do. Um, but anyway, and I think you'll see what I'm referring to. And I'll, you know, I'll explain that in a minute. But anyway, I'm going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted. In the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As not having nothing, yet possessing all things. So title of the message this morning, Proving Ourselves as Working Together with God. Proving Ourselves as Working Together with God, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. Thank you, Father, for um, your spirit that directs us and gives us understanding into thy truth. And we pray that as the word of God goes forth, I pray that it would be in the demonstration of the spirit and of power, that you would open our hearts and our minds and our understanding to receive the truth, that we might be uh, approved as servants, as, as workers together with the Lord in this ministry that you have given us as your church. So, Lord, just pray that you speak to hearts, and Lord, if the beginning of who do not have that assurance of salvation, I pray that day the Spirit of God would convict them of their sin, their need to repent, and their need of Christ as Lord and Savior. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned, probably this con, this, these two verses, first two verses are probably taken out of context as much as any verses in the Bible. And that being, Meaning that they mean, now is the time you need to get saved. Now is the day that of your salvation. That's not what it says. If you read the context, he starts out as, we as workers together with him. Now the him is referring to God mentioned in verse 21 of chapter 5. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So we are workers together with God. If we are workers together with God, why do we need to be saved? We don't need to be saved. The idea here is don't receive your salvation in vain. Use it. Produce what God desires to produce in your life as a saved person, that is the idea here of this chapter. God wants us. You know, notice He says in verse uh, again in verse four, but in all things, approving ourselves as ministers. You know, so we we have a we have a ministry, uh, and that ministry, of course, is described for us in second in chapter five again, the ministry of reconciliation, since we've been reconciled to God, made a. We've been brought, changed from an enemy of God to a friend of God through a relationship with him, through the Lord Jesus Christ. God has given to us a ministry of reconciling or bringing others to Christ. Just like Andrew, when he found the Messiah, he brought his brother Peter to Christ. And that's what we are to be doing. And of course he says in verse 20 of that chapter 5 that we are ambassadors for him. So the idea here is that we are to approve ourselves as workers together with God. Don't receive your salvation in vain. It ought not be something that we just have but we never do anything with. We never do anything with. You know, if I have things around the house that I haven't used in a year, you know what I tend to do with it? Pitch it. You know, I have, I have hung on to things. In fact, I, there, there's are some things that I've hung on to since we've had that house. That was 14 years ago. I put them in the attic, thinking, I even tried to sell them in yard sales. But I thought, you know, my idea was, these are in, these are in new condition. They've never been open. I mean, they're, they're 14 inch heat, uh, heat duct, duct work is what it is. I mean, it's $5 a foot if you go buy it. And so I put it in the attic. And lo and behold, the guy I'm working for needed it, some of it the other day. And I told him I wouldn't charge him more than $4.99 a foot for it. But, but uh, you know, um if I have something that is no, of no use to me, after a while I just want to throw it away because it's vain. God wants us to use or produce from our salvation that we receive. The idea of working together is here. Just to give you a couple, define a few words, and then we'll look at approving ourselves. You know, workers together means to work together, to help in the work, to be a partner in labor. So the idea here is we are partners in labor with God. We're working together with Him. You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9, that ye are God's husband. We are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. The word husbandry means it's like a cultivated field. You're God's cultivated field that He desires to have fruit from or to yield fruit for Him, to be fruitful for Him. And you know, we we work together. Uh, you know, an example of this was would be we work together in fellowship with other churches of like mind in the work of the Lord and sending the gospel to other regions of the world. You know, we have we have partnered together. Our church has partnered together with other churches in getting the Francis to Taiwan. Take the gospel. You know, an example, again, Kent Brandenburg, when he sent his e- e- email to me, he said this, quote, we are looking... It, it, he he said this, quote, it is really a matter if you see yourselves in fellowship with us, unquote. You know, are, are we in agreement and working together? Are we in agreement to do that? That's what fellowship is. And, and so... He's looking for churches that can fellowship together, that can work in agreement with Him in planting churches. So to work together effectively with God for the souls of men, we must endeavor to be in agreement with God. It's going to require that we be in agreement with God if we're going to do it effectively. You know, Israel, a good example of this is is the history of Israel. If you look at the history of Israel in the Old Testament, when they were in agreement with God, what happened? God prospered them. When When they would join with the other nations and follow their idols, they didn't prosper. They were not fruitful. And God meant them Not to just be a nation, to go in and conquer the land and conquer the enemies. He meant them to be a witness to the nations. That was their purpose. To be a witness to the nations. Just as you and I are to be a witness to those around us. And so... So we must in agreement with God. You know, that's what an ambassador is. We have been commissioned as an ambassadors, 2 Corinthians 5.20 tells us. We looked at that last week. An ambassador is a representative. He is to represent the one who has appointed him. He doesn't have his own message. He doesn't have his own power. He doesn't have his own agenda. His agenda, his power, his message is of the one who sent him. And so as the Lord's representative, you know what Paul said? For me to live is what? Christ. Me live as Christ. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loves me and gave Himself more for me. You know, Paul was saying, it is the Lord that directs me. It's His message that I give. It's His holiness that sets the standard for my life. It is His glory and honor that I am to present and it is done by His power, by His authority, and it's manifested through His churches. They are the, the, the organization that God has authorized to send out those to represent Him. Find that in Acts chapter 13. And He says here that we are workers together, and, and He says, you know, verse 1, that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. You know, the grace of God here, and I want to define this term as well, is, is, is the, 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 the influence of the Lord upon those that have been saved, where He keeps, He strengthens, He increases their faith, their knowledge and affection, so that they can exercise Christian virtues. So the grace of God is the, is the power that works in our lives, to 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 grow us, to mature us, so that we can live more Christ like, so that our lives will be more effective in our workers together with the Lord. That's the grace of God. We're we are to be governed by the power of God's grace. You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians fifteen ten, but by the grace of God I am what I am. It was the grace of God that worked in my life, that changed my life. That enabled me to labor more abundantly than all the other apostles, and so, as we, so he says, don't receive this grace in vain. We have to yield to it. We have to apply it to our life. We have to be approving ourselves. That means to commend, to show, to exhibit it. In Second Corinthians seven eleven, he says. For behold, this selfsame thing, you saw it after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. You've exhibited the grace of God in your church, Corinth, and demonstrated, you've exhibited that you are clear in this matter. And so as we consider proving ourselves together as the workers with God, we notice three three areas here. Really, there's four, and I'm not gonna have time, I think, to get to the fourth one. But we and I'll give you the outline that I'm gonna go by here that we need to prove ourselves in our actions, we need to prove ourselves in our attitudes. And we need to prove ourselves, I'm sorry, not, not, that's not the first, second one. Prove ourselves in our attributes. This is, this is number two. Prove ourselves in our attitudes. So there's actions, attitudes, attributes. And next week, Lord willing, we're going to look at associations. Which has to do with separation. Because I don't, don't think I'm going to get, make it that far today. So approving ourselves, if we're going to be, uh, prove ourselves as workers together with God, He says we need to prove ourselves, first of all, in our actions. In verse 4 he says, But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings." The word patience here means steadfastness or endurance. It characterizes a man who is unswerved from his purpose and his loyalty to the Lord and, and his godliness, even in the greatest trials and sufferings. It doesn't matter what he faces in life. He has a purpose. He has a determination that he's going to continue to serve God. Like Daniel, who purposed in himself that he would not defile himself with the king's meat, nor of the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs. Why? He requested because he had determined, he had purposed in his heart, he was going to endure. No matter what happened in life. No matter what he faced. And Paul wrote t- young Timothy, who was a pastor, his son in the faith. And it's interesting, four times in 2 Timothy he used that word endure, which is the same word as translated patience here. In 2 Timothy one four, he says, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. In 2 Timothy two three he says, "Thou therefore endure hardness." In other words, you you be you have this endurance, this patience that you're gonna your deliverance purpose that you will not depart from the faith. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy two ten. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus, with eternal glory. You know, when he was referring to the elect, he was talking about the nation of Israel, and they were the ones that gave Paul the most trouble. And he said, yet for, for their sakes, I will endure. I will not quit. I will remain steadfast in my purpose. I'll preach the gospel. In 2 Timothy 4 or 5, he told Timothy, watch in all things, endure afflictions. Do the work on evangelists, make full proof. I, I ministry. So he said, you need to be, you need to prove yourselves in patience to, to endure uh, all these things. And he gives a list of things that we need to endure. Afflictions. Afflictions are oppressing together and we're oppression. You know, the world pressures us to conform to its standards, to fit in, to not be different than the world is. After all, when we are different, it's kind of convicting to them. They don't like it. Why is it they you know what they really want is to close our mouths. They want to silence us. It's not enough that they just want to push us out of public life. They want to silence us completely. They don't want us talking to other people about Jesus Christ. You know, this war that's going on in this division in our country, the, the issue is right and wrong, God and devil. That's what it is. And they want to silence us. You know, I firmly believe that this whole COVID thing and all these lockdowns is to silence the churches. It's to silence the churches. You see, the world wants to pressure us. They don't want us to be different in our dress, our music, our philosophy of life. You know, our philosophy of life is, is to be filtered and directed by the Word of God, not our reasonings or our feelings. But see, the world wants to pressure us to make you fit their mold. To go along with everything. They just don't want us, us to, 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 uh, uh, not submit to their homosexual agenda. They want us to endorse it. They want us to, they want to pressure us into going along with their agenda. That's what all this is about. It's not secular; it's religious. I, I, you know, you know. I used to think there was there was the secular and then there was the 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 the, uh, the religious, but there's nothing secular to the child of God. I mean, we're to serve God at the city of Raleigh. We're to serve God at Branley's. We're to serve God, you know, working in, with pond water. We're to serve God wherever we work. We're to serve God. We're to do our work as unto the Lord. We don't divide it from, you know, as, as secular and religious. And so there's these afflictions that we, we, God says we are to endure. You know, the world's going to try and pressure you, young people, into fitting into their mold. And going along with their agenda. And many times it's quote unquote Christians that will not stand that pressure you as well. Afflictions, necessities. That's calamities or straits or difficult situations we will get. We are we are put into, and and as time goes on, Lord, tears. We're gonna get it. We're gonna be put into some straits. We're gonna be put into some difficulties where it may seem like, and, and actually, the word distresses here means extreme afflictions. Extreme afflictions. You know these are, and you think about necessities. That implies needs. Now, wait, wait a minute, preacher. Wait a minute. Didn't God promise to supply all our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus? Yes, he did. We had an excellent example of this in Sunday school's class this morning. Saul was in a great strait. 1 Samuel chapter 14. I think it was. it Saul was in a great strait. I mean, the armies of listings have come into the land. And he's, you know, his people have fled from him. They're, they're in a fear and he hasn't sacrificed and it's the seventh day and Samuel hasn't come yet. He's in a great strait. He's in need. He needs to offer sacrifice before he goes out into battle. And Samuel said, you wait seven days for me. Saul's in a great strait. You see, he had a need. It was a genuine need but Saul set the timetable. The day wasn't over. The day wasn't over. And Saul decided, Samuel hasn't come. It's getting toward the end of the day. Samuel hasn't come, so I need to offer this sacrifice. You know, sometimes God will allow you to get into a real fix. A real fix to see whether you'll really Trust him or not. You know, Abraham got into some real fixes. He went to Egypt. He was in a fix. And it was a test. Abraham, will you trust me or not? You know, and Abraham, like like you and I, he failed. He failed. But he came back to the Lord. He wasn't like Saul, who justified his failure, justified his sin. You know, God will allow us to get into some real, we call them real fixes, some real tight spots. Roy Lawrence said this in his commentary, quote, It is for a higher purpose that God sometimes withholds. There is a higher purpose in grace than merely granting contentment. Character does not grow out of gratification, to withhold is sometimes better than to bestow, unquote. You know, sometimes it's better to tell your children, no. Sometimes the best answer is no. Contentment is not learned by getting everything we think we need. And of course, like I said, a good example of that is Saul, first Samuel thirteen. And so necessities, distresses, stripes. Stripes. Of course, this would have been whippings, beatings, this would have been things that would have been brought on by, by men as a result of his preaching the gospel. There was imprisonments. Uh, Paul was cast into prison. There was tumults. That was public uprisings and riots, which we're starting to see in our country. Uh, there was labors, intense physical work to provide. You know, Paul worked, not only did he, did he preach the gospel, but he worked as a tent maker to provide for his own needs many times. So he with his hands, making tents. There's watches. Sleepless nights. Sometimes there's nights, where your sleep departs from you. Oh, your concern for sheep. So there was watchings, sleepless nights, fastings, self-denial. It's a rigorous training of the body and soul for difficult tasks of service. You know, this is the Christian life. This is, it is a life of sacrifice. A life of sacrifice. In Matthew ten thirty seven to 39 Jesus said, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. You see, many do not want to or are not willing to sacrifice to the Lord, but that is what the Christian life is. And if we're going to prove ourselves as workers together with the Lord, we have to prove ourselves in these these uh, in our actions. No matter what the world throws at us. Secondly, we need to prove ourselves in our attributes. And of course, the word attributes refers to characteristics characteristics, or qualities that define us. And again, he gives another list. Pureness, verse 6, verse 6 and 7. By pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left hand. Pureness refers to uprightness of life or living in a way that pleases the Lord. Knowledge, understanding our faith or understanding God. Having a right understanding of God. We ought to search the Scriptures to come to a right understanding of God uh, and study the Scriptures that we may be uh, a workman, need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There needs to be long-suffering or, or willing to... Uh, to suffer for the cause of Christ, or slowness to avenge wrongs, You know, we don't. We don't. We ought not to lash out at those that wrong us. We ought to endeavor to win them. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. You know, Paul never gave back what his enemies gave to him. You know, he could have had. He could have had brought a case against the Philippians. Rulers. Who beat him and threw him in prison. Without a hearing. Because he was a Roman citizen. But he did not. Kindness. Kindness is goodness. Doing good by acts of kindness. We ought to be known as people who go out of our way to to do good deeds. Good deeds don't save us. But people should know by our good deeds that we love our Lord. That our God is good. By the Holy Ghost, He said, a yieldedness to the Spirit of God as He leads us in obedience to His Word. We need to be yielded to the Spirit of God by love unfeigned. You know, love that's not an act. doesn't have selfish motives. It's love out of a pure heart. First Timothy 1.15 says, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart. you know, No ill motives. And of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. You know, the word feign has to put on an act. That's what the word feign means, put on an act. And he's talking about love unfeigned. 1 Peter 1.22 says, Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently we ask ourselves sometimes, what are we most concerned about? The state of a person's soul and their relationship with God or our church? You know, there's a lot of things that go overlooked in churches because they're afraid to muddy the waters and to cause possible upheaval. talking to a missionary sometime years ago about some of the things that were going on in the church that I was in. And this is what he said. He just doesn't want to muddy the waters anymore. He don't want to address issues that need to be addressed in people's lives because after all, they may be influential in the church. You know what you're doing? You're damaging the souls of those people by not confronting them and challenging them in their sin. sin. For the sake of a church? What is a church made up of? Souls. What it does is it, it destroys the whole church eventually. We need to be more concerned about the souls of people than the effect it's going to have on the church. After all, we do what's right in the sight of God. God will protect the church if we do what's right by the body. You know, we wouldn't let, we wouldn't let cancer go unchecked in our leg because of what it might, because, you know, if I cut my leg off, that's going to hamper the rest of my body. You know, I won't. I won't be able to get around. Do you know what that cancer is going to do to the rest of your body eventually? It's going to affect the rest of it, infect it. Now you're going to deal with that. Love unfeigned. That's what love unfeigned is. By the word of truth, he says. Again, we are directed, we are led by the Word of God. By the power of God. In 2 Corinthians three five, Paul said, We are not sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. You see, the power to do ministry is of God. It's not of ourselves. Verse 6, he said, Who also hath made us able ministers in the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. So it is by the power of God, he goes on and he says, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left hand. Now the word armor here refers to weapons used in warfare. And we are in a warfare. We are in a spiritual warfare. And so we need the weapons that are being to be used in that spiritual warfare. And he says... That the armor of righteousness... We need the armor of righteousness. The word righteousness means virtue or purity of life, an uprightness, a correctness in thinking, feeling, and acting. And this righteousness, doing what is right, is the root, I believe, the root of our confidence and our assurance in the Lord. Yet when we obey the Lord... He bears witness with our spirit that we are right. That's what 1 John's all about. You know, 1 John is about walking in fellowship with God, and assurance comes from walking in fellowship, walking in agreement with God. Look at at 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. And this is where the armor of righteousness, you know, God gives us a confidence that when, as we do what's right, He gives us a confidence and an assurance that we are right and therefore a boldness. A boldness. 1 John 2, verse 3 says, Hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. He that saith, I know Him, and keepeth not His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Now let me ask you a question. You young people, and you older people, you older people that are don't have parents, not living under parents anymore, think back when you were a little child. And you did something that you knew your parents disapproved of. And they didn't even know. Did that affect you? Did that affect your thinking? Did that affect your relationship with your parents? Did that cause you to want to be with your parents? Or did it cause you just to rather you just kind of stay away to yourself? See, what it does is it gives us a lack of confidence in our fellowship with our parents. The same is true in the Christian life. When we sin against God, we know it. The Spirit of God, if we're a child of God, the Spirit of God convicts us. We know it. And, 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 and so we don't have, therefore, this confidence that we are right. Because we're not right. So there's a lack of confidence. And when he says the armor of righteousness, it's that confidence that the Spirit of God gives us because we are right. But when we're not right, when we've sinned against the Lord, you know, David knew he had sinned against the Lord. He tried to cover it. You know, Saul knew it too. But instead of accepting it, he just blamed everyone else. You know, David didn't blame everyone else, but he did try to cover it for a year. But he knew. He said his bones waxed old. He was a miserable man. What? He knew he was not right with his Lord. Chapter 3, verse 18 of 1 John says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him for if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. That inner man, that spirit. If, if we're not condemned in our spirit by the spirit of God, we have confidence. But when we sin, we are, we feel this condemnation. Because we know. We have offended God. Verse twenty four He that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him and he in him, hereby we know that he abideth in us by his spirit which he hath given us. Chapter four verse thirteen again, hereby we know that when that we dwell with in him, and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. So the Spirit of God, you know, when we do what's right, when we are pleasing we will please the Lord, He gives us this confidence, assurance. That's what's that's referred to, here, I believe, as the armor of righteousness. Right makes might. When you are right and you know you're right, it gives you a confidence. And you really don't care what anybody else says. You know you're right. Proverbs says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. His confidence. And he says we'd have this armor on the right hand right hand and on the left hand. Right. Yeah. That's right. Right hand left hand. I have to go back to school. Um you know, usually when you think about it, right hand and left hand, of course, unless you're left-handed. You know, you have a shield in one hand. If you're right-handed, you have you have your shield in your left hand. You'd have your sword, in right? Hand. Your offensive weapon in your right hand and your Defensive weapon in your left hand. Now, if you're left-handed, you, you reverse that. But it, it, the idea here is you're well protected. You're well protected. You're there's protection. There's a security in the Lord when we walk with Him. There's an, an, a confidence there and a boldness. A boldness that God gives Clark said this, quote, the idea of the, on the right hand and on the left hand is of holding both offensive and de- defensive weapons. It probably has in mind both advancing and being attacked, particularly the shield and the sword, the former on the left hand, the latter on the right hand. We have the doctrine of truth and the power of God and as an armor to protect us on all sides, everywhere and on all occasions. Unquote. And so you have this Armor of righteousness. you, know, you know, doing what is right, measuring. You know, he talks. It precedes that with with the Holy Ghost and the Word of God and the power of God. All these things are are, are things that direct us into doing what is right. So these are the characteristics, of the attributes that we need to have approve ourselves as we as laborers together with the Lord. But thirdly, approving ourselves in our attitudes, verses eight through ten. He says, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Now, if you were to read this list from verses 4 through 10, you'd say, who in the world wants to be a worker together with God? If you're going to look at it from under the sun. These are paradoxes, verses 8 through 10, are what we call paradoxes. They're contradictions. Self contradicting. Honor, dishonor. Evil report, good report. Uh, deceivers yet true. You know, all these are these are these are paradoxes. And, and and if you're going to serve the Lord, you sometime or another are going to be subject to all these things. You're going to be honored by some and dishonored by some. And sometimes it can be the same paper. You know, we've had to come in here and just talk about how wonderful our church is. And ain't too long. They're somewhere else, and our church isn't wonderful anymore. It's not wonderful anymore. You know, Paul, Paul experienced all these. 2 Corinthians 3. Well, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 for sake of time. Uh, in verses 1 through 3, he's, he's vindicating his apostleship because it was questioned by the, the church at Corinth, whom he had started, through whose ministry many of them had, most of them had come to know the Lord, and yet they questioned his apostleship. They were dishonoring him. He says, now I. Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. And in verse 9 he says that I may not seem as if I would terrify you by letters, for his letters say they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. The word contemptible here means to make of no account. So there were some at Corinth were saying, ah, the Apostle Paul can't take him seriously. He doesn't really mean what he says. Just do what you feel is right. Yeah, you know, somebody think, well, you know, you can't take the pastor seriously Sometimes. Just need a judge for yourself. Paul said, let such a one think this, that such as I, as we are in word, by letters, when we are absent, such will we be also indeed when we are present. You see, so honor and dishonor. You're going to have people say, good things about you. They're going to say evil. They're going to give an evil report. And some will give a good report. But, But the Bible tells us that we are to show ourselves a pattern of good works in all things. We're to live a life so that they cannot say any evil thing about us. We have a good conscience. They may speak of us as evil as evildoers, but they will be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. He is accused of being a deceiver, and he says yet true. You know, even to the Lord Jesus in John seven twelve, there were one of those that said about him, There was much murmuring among the people concerning him, for some said he is a good man, others said, Nay, but he deceiveth the people. I remember very early in my ministry hearing about people saying, oh, those people that are up there with him, they just worship that preacher. You know what? In other words, I had them deceived. Of course, Paul was accused of this himself. Acts 26, 24, and 25, he says, Thus spake for himself Festus, who was the governor, said with a loud voice, Paul, oh, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, "I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and righteousness. In other words, you are just rambling falsehood." Paul said, "No, I am speaking the truth. I'm speaking the truth. So there will be some that will call you deceivers, and yet." You're true. Unknown yet well known. You know the Christian life is not a popularity contest. It's not why we're in it. You may be known, but you may not be. Doesn't really matter. He says he says not only are we known yet unknown, yet well known, as dying, and behold we live. You know, this is the principle of the Christian life. We're to, to die to self daily. Uh, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain, Paul said. He said also that chastened and not killed. You know, again, God chastens us for our profit. He doesn't kill us. You know, we chastened our children for their profit. We didn't kill them. That wasn't our purpose. And sometimes God allows or uses people to chasten us. Sorrowful, yet rejoicing. Always rejoicing. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. This is, this is what you know, I think I would have wrote. They put me in prison. I am depressed. I'm discouraged. It's not fair. I haven't done anything wrong. I'm in bad need of help. This place is dirty. It's infested. It's cold. Its food is terrible. And on and on I could go. Paul said this Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful that is anxious. Be not, not worried or anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of god which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through christ jesus you paul was in prison and they weren't the holiday inns like we have today you know, even in the midst of trial god's people can rejoice You know, as I look at the world, as I look at the world, if I dwell too long on the world, it it creates a heartache. You ever, you ever go to, uh, maybe you uh, went shopping with your wife, and uh, she was going to go into a certain store and look at some few things, and you just sat in the car? And sometimes I just sat in the car, and I just watch people win that. And you know if you just just think a little think a little while, what people it, it can it break your heart. You, know, where are they headed? Where's their life leading them? That first man I ever witnessed to, Glenn Metz. Ben Metz. Ben Metz. What a glam. Anyway, his last name was Metz. He was a neighbor. And I got to the point where in salvation presentation that we're all, all born in sin, and we're all sinners by nature choice. and choice. he got angry. And he cursed, swore, said, I've been a Christian all my life. And that course kind of ended conversation at first I was taken back of course by that this is the first guy I've really witnessed to on my own I was taken back by that and and but you know I wasn't really it it was funny odd I thought odd odd. Well, as I left there I thought I'm not sorrowful or sad I am that he responded that way but I had I had joy in, in my heart that I had done what God asked me to do. The problem was no longer with me. The ball was no longer in my court. It was in his. Now, I continued to try and witness to him. And his response, again, caused me sorrow, but I had joy in my heart knowing that I had done what was right. God gave me that joy. I had done what was right. He says poor. Verse 10, making many rich. Paul never had pleasures of life. But he made many rich with the blessings of God. Having nothing, possessing all things. Go to Matthew 19, and this, and this will be finished. Matthew 19, verses 27 and 29 twenty nine, <clears throat> Matthew 19, verse 27, 29 says, Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, that is the disciples, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel and everyone. Now he's he's broadened this out. He's not just talking to those 12 apostles. He's talking to everyone. Every child of God that has has followed him, that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit. You may not have anything by the world's standard. But if you have forsaken all to follow the Lord, you're a child of God. My father is rich in houses on his land, he holdeth the wealth of the world in his hand. I've got an inheritance that's laid up where moth and rust do not corrupt. I've got a home with streets of gold. you see what this boils down to is life is all about perspective. If we look at things under the sun you're gonna be depressed if you look at things under the sun if you as a as a child of God look at things under the sun you're gonna you're gonna receive this grace of God in vain. You're not going to be productive in your salvation. See, we need to look at things through the eyes of Him that created all things. We need to work together with Him, approving ourselves as laborers with Him. We are His ambassadors. We are His foot soldiers ambassadors are always rewarded for their work. And we will be rewarded for ours. Paul said there's laid up a crown of righteousness for me and also all them that love has appeared. Rory Lawrence said this in his commentary, quote, Our profession is intended to proclaim our position. while our position is meant to ratify Our profession, if we say we're saved, it ought to proclaim how we live, show itself by how we live. And so, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Work together with Him. Work together with Him. Exercise. Thyself unto godliness, the Bible tells us. Study to show yourselves approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Write the dividing word of truth. And the key word there is study. You know what that requires? Effort. Just like in any business, if you want to be proficient in it, you have to put forth we want to be proficient, if we want to be useful, if we want to be fruitful in our Christian life, we need to put forth some effort. Allowing God to work our life. Feeding on His Word that He can work then out of us